Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. That's our super producer, the one and only Max Williams. Give it up for him, folks. And uh, my name is Ben. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, uh, of balloons, Noel. It's, it's kind of birthday season for you and me, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Leo season, SZN, as the kids say on the internet. Uh, and I am Noel. I don't think I introduced myself in the last episode. So if anyone's confused, uh, it's me, Noel. And yeah, my birthday is August 8th. And I think yours is right around there. Matt Frederick, our compatriot from Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, also has one. Like, I think we're in like a three or four day span of each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if Matt wants me putting his birthday out on the airways, but uh, I uh, I have the same birth. Well, Hulk Hogan has the same birthday as me, August 11th. That's been a sore point for him in our relationship. And Hulk Hogan is from my hometown of Augusta, Georgia. So it all comes back around. It always Hulk goes Hogan. back back to Hogan, except for today's episode. <laughs> Which is, yeah, he has nothing to do. He has nothing to do with this episode. <laughs> but it's kind of birthday related because you know when you're when you're celebrating uh, in uh, many parts of the world, you're celebrating a birthday or some important event. You get a balloon, and nowadays we see balloons in general as something innocuous, as something fun and interesting. Whether we're talking about a little helium balloon that says "Happy Birthday" on it, or whether we're talking about a hot air balloon, which I, I can't I can't wait to get in one once I feel safer about the steering. 
Right. Yeah, I think they're still working on that. It's pretty rudimentary still to this day, if I'm not mistaken. Like a lot of it has to do with ballasts and, you know, getting rid of uh, sandbags and all of that. I I don't know. They're just, they, maybe they've made advancements in, in hot air balloon technology, but it used to be the absolute height of exploration technology. Uh-huh. Um, when, yeah, <laughs> not even on purpose, but thank you for pointing that out. Because back in, you know, the early days, uh, the 19th century, the air, the sky was a total mystery in the same way that like the deepest depths of the ocean, you know, were for a long time. And now we would probably make it a little more akin to like the deepest reaches of outer space. So as far as they were concerned, it was a weird, bizarro land out there. They There was a, a pretty widespread belief that there were sky monsters, mm-hmm. massive like pterodactyl type birds that could, you know, swoop a man up uh, with his talons and drop him from great heights like the weird dragon that the ring wraiths ride and Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That's always a cool flex when you pick somebody up and fly them up high and then drop them to their death. The Thunderbird really cool or the rock, like the mm-hmm. ROC. It goes on and on. It sure does. Uh, but we are talking specifically today about the early days of not astronauts, but aeronauts. These were some super intrepid people that were uh, kind of putting themselves on the line, uh, their lives on the line for the at the, at the time, really, more entertainment purposes. It wasn't even really considered to be a scientific pursuit until a little bit later. I mean, there certainly was that exploratory spirit, but it really became this thing that people would, like, mob around to check out the latest hot air balloon um, flight because chances are someone's probably going to fall to their death. Yeah, exactly. And there was a common belief that even if they didn't fall to their death, they would die in the atmosphere because the sky was also thought to contain disease-causing vapors. So folks, and folks also validly feared that aeronauts would die of oxygen deprivation, but there were two French brothers, and swear our story really begins, who bucked those common misconceptions or common beliefs Joseph Michel Montgolfier and Jacques-Étienne Montgolfier. These are the folks who, on November 21st, 1783, launched the first piloted hot air balloon. And this, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of this comes to us from our pals over at Mental Floss, uh, over at the BBC, and an uh, excellent little article in LeicesterMercury.co.uk. Mm -hmm. Also, Smithsonian Mag, there's a fantastic article, The True History of the Aeronauts Who Transformed Our View of the World Above, and that was written by Jennifer Tucker for The Conversation. So this is already starting out on on a really weird note with an opinion from the French monarch, Louis XVI, because he he had a concern. He said, you know, I don't want to be responsible for fatalities when these aeronauts go up into the sky because they're obviously going to die, right? And he looks around at his court and he's like, they're going to die, right? And everybody's like, yeah, we, they're going to die. Probably, (laughs) chances are good. Yeah, and so they had to to figure out who could pilot the balloon knowing that they might die and uh, how, how to make sure that this wouldn't be a PR disaster when they inevitably passed away. So what, what did he go with, Noel? Uh, You know, criminals. He just figured, uh, hey, why not? You know, their their lives are forfeit anyway. Uh, these are talk- we're talking about ones that were you know likely scheduled to be executed, but thankfully 
some of the more science-minded individuals in uh, Louis' entourage talked him out of the idea of taking completely, you know, skillless, uh, at least, in, I mean, I'm sure they had some skills, uh, you know, certain set of skills, sure. these criminals. Murder, probably not piloting. Yeah, murder, robbery, petty larceny, things. all of that stuff. But definitely not uh, piloting hot air balloons, which is a very cutting-edge technology. So uh, it turned out that a scientist by the name of Jean-Francois Pilarte de Rosier and uh, an aristocrat named Francois Lorraine Darlans were chosen by the Montgolfier brothers to pilot a balloon. And on November 21st of 1783, they did just that. And they flew uh, for 20 minutes and became the first people to experience sustained flight. So the Montgolfier brothers, what was their deal? They launched a hot air balloon, but it was, it didn't, the, the flight didn't last for very long. Well, they first did a series of animal experiments similar to what we That's see with right. space exploration they launched uh they launched a hot air balloon with a rooster a duck and a sheep that's right ridiculous historians there should be a pixar movie on the way and they did that just like just a few months earlier september 19th mm -hmm. 1783 uh and they thought they had a logic to it they thought sheep are similar enough to people that we'll see how altitude affects a uh, landlubber and ducks and roosters can already fly to one degree or another. And so we'll see, we'll see how they do when they're not flying on their own power. And that balloon was only, it was tethered. So it wasn't right. flying free and it was only up for about what, eight minutes. Yeah. And I think because, I mean, we talked about this briefly, this the idea of the spectacle, because the technology was very rudimentary, and oftentimes the balloons would spontaneously deflate in air. Uh, they would drift over the ocean and deflate in the air. They would occasionally catch fire for various reasons. But the duck and the sheep uh, were unharmed. It gives me serious, like, monkeys in space kind of vibes, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. And the rooster made it through as well. It, Forgot it, about the rooster. It's, uh, yeah, you know, maybe the crowd was there chanting, here they come to snuff the rooster. Alice in mm -hmm. Chains' uh, album is based on this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Total facts. Total facts. Um, so again, there there was this sense of danger. Yeah. Um, so there was a an absolute kind of almost bread and circuses vibe to these events uh, because these aeronauts and their passengers often did fall to their death if the balloons were untethered. And people wanted to hang out and see if anything would go horribly, horribly wrong. In fact, uh, the Smithsonian Mag points out that Charles Dickens uh, felt like this was an absolute hideous form of entertainment. He compared them to public executions. Yeah, kind of like the people who would go to watch a motorsport race purely waiting for an accident to occur. So... The British Association for the Advancement of Science in 1862, they say, we're going to we're going to fund this. We're going to see us. We're going to have a series of flights to study the upper atmosphere, which means these balloons are going to have to fly as high as they possibly can. And uh, we're talking airplane commercial flight like heights. Uh, the, yeah, the closest they could get to it. Uh, I think they managed to they get over 20,000 feet pretty quickly. Uh, there's a mm -hmm. guy who uh, who founded the British Meteorological Society named James Glacier, uh, who volunteered to perform these flights. Between 1862 and 1866, this dude alone made 28 ascents. And, uh, you know, these were funded by the association, not him. He had a pilot 
So he's kind of along for the ride to monitor stuff. And this pilot is a guy named Henry Coxwell. At this point, with this, you know, with the age of this technology, he's automatically a world-class expert. Uh, Their first flight, they reached the height of 26,177 feet. That's insane. It gives me vertigo just reading that on a page. Yeah, can you imagine being in that little basket? And they certainly wouldn't have had any, like, oxygen support, Mm -hmm. you know, masks or anything at the time. And as we know, you know, the air gets very thin up there and and also very, very, very cold. They made another ascent on September 5th in a balloon that was dubbed the Mars— which again, a lot of this gives me kind of precursor to space travel type vibes. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, and they got up to 30,000 feet, but it was an absolute disaster. Glacier went blind for a time while he was up there due to atmospheric pressure, I imagine. Uh, and he lost consciousness. And Coxwell, due to like some sort of issue with the rigging, had to climb up into the bat into the balloon area and free a tangled valve line. And he wasn't even wearing gloves and his hands were so cold. They were essentially borderline hypothermic that he had to rip this valve cord free using his teeth, mm-hmm. his bare teeth, the valve lines, you know, again, like I was talking about, it would measure barometric pressure and uh, be able to uh, detect when they had reached a certain height and then would start to ease down their descent. But with a malfunction in that equipment, uh, they would have just continued to rise and rise and rise. Thankfully, he got it free and they did descend. But if he hadn't, they absolutely would have died from freezing to death, uh, hypothermia, or from lack of oxygen. They would have just suffocated in in the atmosphere. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, Specifically, uh, we believe they reached the height of about 37,000 feet. And just for comparison, Smithsonian and thosemagnificentmen.co.uk make a great comparison here. 37,000 feet is 8,000 feet higher than the summit of Mount Everest. So they have literally gone higher into the atmosphere than any human being ever before throughout the span of history. And they, like you said, Noel, they barely came back to tell the tale. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. 
Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. It's interesting because you would think there, there are a couple of different responses to this if you survive. You might say, okay, that's enough air for me. I have feet and I will keep them on the ground. Or you might think, how much further can I push the envelope? Henry Coxwell was the latter. He decided that he would double down. He made another highly publicized flight, or he prepared for another highly publicized fight in 1864. Uh, he was going to launch his balloon, like we said, in front of a crowd. This was publicized. Dickens was not exaggerating when he said this drew lots of crowds. So because he had, had that close brush with death, he was kind of like an evil Knievel character, you know, kind of like a stuntman. Like, is this the time he dies? Yeah, 100%. Cons probably by some considered to be a hero, a real pioneer, you know, of, of the air. Uh, but by many also probably seemed as being an idiot who was uh, destined for doom any second. Uh, and they were hoping to maybe witness that firsthand. And this took place in Leicester in the United Kingdom. And uh, it got a little rowdy. It got a little rowdy. Around 50,000 people showed up to see this launch. And some things uh, went some ways. So, yes, this reminds me, this feels like a, a Tim Robinson sketch from I Think You Should Leave Now. So Coxwell's getting a million percent. his balloon together. And he's working, he's doing his best, you know. He's, he's getting his balloon together. He's getting ready to launch. And there's some guy in the back who's like, hey, it's a small balloon. Was it blue? You so sure small? about that? You, you sure, sure about, about that? that? That's the reason why? You, you sure, sure about that? that? That's the reason why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, we're getting ripped off. We're getting ripped off. You, you sure that's the right balloon? I thought it would be a, a, big, a big balloon. And then everybody else is like, yeah, yeah. See, what's it? There's a mini balloon. Yeah. And so. And, uh, and not to like <laughs> neg the British people. That's not what we're here to do. But I mean, the, the, this was, these were largely working class, you know, soccer hooligan types, you know, who were very much getting riled up and were there to see a show. And they felt, I mean, presumably it was free. So it's sort of, to me, is sort of the equivalent of like why people get so cranky in podcast reviews about like ads or whatever for your free podcast, you know? Uh, I don't fully understand. I've never left a review for anything, uh, let alone something that was free. Um, so I'm confused as to how they felt so entitled uh, as to what the show should be or would be. And again, this guy was approaching it very scientifically and he was approaching it, you know, with the expertise of a seasoned aeronaut, a seasoned balloonist, right? Yeah, yeah. And so later, Coxwell says uh, that someone mentioned the balloon that he was using was not his largest and newest balloon. And that's how the rumor kind of spread. And that's how people, uh, that's how the conversation got primed. And he said this was, this was libel and that people were saying that he was somehow swindling them from the spectacle they expected. So the crowd's getting sour. The the they're gathering closer and closer to the balloon. There's maybe like a couple of cops on duty. They have no chance to control this. And people break into his space, his launch space, and they're like, "Well, at least take off now. At least take off now." And uh, he's Coxwell is freaking out because some people had paid 
to sit in the balloon with him and fly the friendly skies, but there were so many people mobbing it, you know? And he thought, uh, rightfully, I would think, that those that paid the money would maybe be a little more civilized, but that wasn't true either. They were, they were like, clamoring to get in there and uh, actually held up his launch even further. We have some really amazing quotes from Coxwell himself from uh, the BBC article, Victorian Strangeness, The Great Balloon Ride of 1864, it's a it's just a collection of blog posts. It's not credited to any one individual writer. But we have these great quotes, and one of them goes like this. I'm not going to do a voice. I'm just going to go for it. Those who had paid their money and obtained tickets pounced into the basket in such a rude and unceremonious manner that all operations were stopped, and the passengers themselves were preventing their own departure. One person seated in my car was a disgrace to his town, as by his gestures and foul language, he excited the mob and induced the belief that there existed on my part a disinclination to ascend. Uh, the pressure of the mob was now so great that my car was damaged, the network broken in several places. I'm assuming he's talking about the a patchwork of literal the, of the lines nets, and all yeah. of that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Broken in several places, owing to persons hanging on to the lower meshes, and a bottle was thrown into the balloon. These people were just starting off. Off in a bad mood. Uh, Animals. Yeah, let's 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 jump forward here. Coxwell says he tries to reason with the crowd and then threatens them uh, with the idea that he'll release the gas in the balloon if they. I will turn this car around and take you home right now, right, children. If they don't calm down, and uh, that doesn't work, they just start saying, you know, like uh, a pox on you, you fiddlestick or whatever, and so mm-hmm. he. As he says, I forthwith executed my threat, so the balloon collapses. Uh, This made people think that Coxwell wasn't punishing them, that they had somehow exposed the big secret that he had a crap balloon, and the Leicester Chronicle reports, uh, reports the moment in a contemporaneous style. They say, to the astonishment of everyone, the canvas, which a few moments before appeared every inch of it to be well filled with gas, began to hang loose and flapped in the wind so much that it was soon apparent that the gas was fast escaping. All doubt on this point was soon dispelled, more especially in regard to those people immediately surrounding it, for the stench became intolerable, and every moment the size of the balloon became less and less, the wind filling its loose folds and causing it to pitch and toss about considerably and threatening every moment to fall upon the heads of those who stood near it. Finally, the whole structure fell into a shapeless mass on the ground. The crowd who stood around immediately seized upon the network and material of the balloon and tore it into a hundred shreds. And then they set the they set the the basket, the car they call it, on fire. Man, people sure did right good back then, didn't they? I guess so. You really I, see it. You can really picture the scene. No, it's really well 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 written. Um, it's true. And again, there were very few security officers on site, so they had to actually call in the heavies, uh, at least you know as many as they could get their hands on, and that was two: uh, an inspector Haynes, uh, Haynes rather, and a sergeant Chapman, who got there to try to do some crowd control, but. If I'm not mistaken, Ben, we're talking about fifty thousand people here. Yeah, how you how you gonna do how you gonna do crowd control with like two two cops? That doesn't make us very poorly planned. Well, they thought people would be better behaved, Noel. I guess so. Well, anyway, they very quickly realized they couldn't control this throng, so they just decided we got to get Coxwell the hell out of here because they're gonna tear him limb from limb like they tore his poor balloon basket. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this they they 
Finally, uh, the Sergeant Chapman leads Coxwell away while the crowd is screaming for his blood and literally tearing his clothes off of him. And they're yelling stuff like, rip him up, finish him, just like in Mortal Kombat, which is also- Bonk him on the head, things like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they're on the run. Coxwell hides out in the town clerk's house, which is nearby. And while, just to give you- a sense of how chaotic this is, folks. Some of those people who had ripped parts of Coxwell's clothing off immediately turn around and start selling pieces of that and pieces of the torn balloon as souvenirs of this of this, this disastrous riot. It's like uh, mm. I, I I just I don't know about people selling riot memorabilia mid riot. I think that takes that takes some hustle for real. Yeah, it's a special kind of awful. And again, from that amazing, amazing BBC collection of, you know, uh, reports from this event, there is a quote from a letter writer who uh, wrote into the Chronicle kind of describing the scene and, you know, complaining about almost being trampled to death. Uh, I never witnessed such barbarous ignorance, baseness and injustice in my life. I feared Mr. Coxwell would be killed. I was knocked down thrice myself simply for endeavoring to defend him. So this points out about something I think we should mention. Obviously, of that 50,000, surely there was a decent contingent of people who are just fans of the guy and did not distrust him. It was obviously like a certain element that was uh, getting people all riled up and maybe there was alcohol involved. I I don't know, but it sure sounds like it because I I don't understand what they're... You're right. It is such an absurdist thing like from one of those Tim Robinson sketches. Like, the balloon's too small! Exactly. Kill him! You know? I mean, it's like absurd. And then probably a smaller balloon is what you want. I bet like... more nimble, right? A smaller balloon is probably what you want. Well, they're they're. You sure about that? You sure about that? But they're. I'm not. They're, and like, they're not. I am not. They're ripping. The thing that's so weird to me, man, is they're demanding the balloon be launched, and then they they start attacking the balloon. They're trying to launch. It's very weird. Uh, it's very strange. But we we know that the town of Leicester got a really bad name in the press for this the london review of politics society literature art and science characterized them as a horde of savages as fierce and untamed as south sea islanders this was the racism Ooh, common at the time yeah, a little bit and, a little bit yeah and then they also said uh, it's humiliating to think that after all the civilizing influences that have been exerted upon them, so much of the savage should still linger in the blood of our working classes. So you can kind of see that the, who this uh, who this review is aiming to communicate with. Uh, so classism goes in in their own way. They're being just as trashy, I would argue, as the mob in Leicester. But over in Leicester Town, if you, if you walk over there afterwards, you would hear a lot of the locals, some of whom were doubtlessly tearing out this balloon earlier, you'll hear them say, no, that was all from out-of-towners. Or maybe those jerks from, uh, what was it? Nottingham. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I love that idea. They're like, anything bad that happens in this town, it's those, it's those monsters from Nottingham. Those fiddlesticks. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The town brass, like you said, that was blaming the folks from Nottingham, referred to them as excursionists. And we're going to get into some nicknames now. It's kind of fun. People from Leicester, by the way, are known as Lestrians. That's not a term of abuse. Uh, but one that was hurled at them by, you know, the greater public was uh, Chizits. Don't have an etymology behind that. Not quite sure what that's referring to. But in 1864, Punch Magazine, which is a fantastic satirical magazine that ran for a very long time, if it's not still running, if I'm not mistaken, but they called them balloonatics. Love it. Which sounds like a punk band or like a kind of a synth wave, kind of tongue-in-cheek synth wave band. Really cool, the balloonatics. I did I did find one speculative guess at the etymology of Chizits. Apparently, it refers to the phrase, how much is it, as one word. Ha! <laughs> As in they're cheap, as in they're low class. Because if you're like upper class, you don't ever ask how much something is. You know that you can either afford it or you can't. If you have to ask, you know, maybe yes, in the wrong you. shop. Yeah. So this is this is uh, this is ludicrous, but it is instructive, and we're happy to report that over time technology improved in the world of ballooning and aeronautics, and as it improved, hot air balloon pilots or aeronauts. It became more skilled because they have more of an opportunity to gain experience. And then soon enough, you could take passengers with you on longer excursions as long as they would pay for the trip. Uh, we believe at the time that a, a, around the time Glacier himself was ascending, uh, the guy who went so many times during that short year period. Mm-hmm. He uh, was that early balloon evangelist, right? Yeah, yeah. The Parmentier of the balloons there. At that time... It caught co- it would cost you about six hundred pounds, which we estimate is somewhere north of ninety thousand dollars today to just to build a balloon. So if you wanted to ride one, you would have to pay fifty pounds to hire a pilot and just to rent the balloon and to pay for the gas for a single trip. So this was this was expensive. This was not yet something the middle or working class could do. And people loved people loved it. People love exclusive stuff, right? So they would just, it's kind of like reporting the taste of pineapple during the pineapple craze. They're like, this is amazing. I don't know how to describe it. I guess you've just got to go. 
You know, just mm-hmm. go for yourself. You had to have been, you just had to, you just had to have been there. Exactly. You just had to have been there and, and, you know, been rich. But thankfully, I mean, yeah, like you said, this really did turn much more towards scientific pursuits. We start to see more scientific reports about the atmosphere, the Earth's atmosphere. In 1873, we have one scientist describing it as a, quote, splendid world of colors which brightens the surface of our planet with a lovely azure tint and changing harmonies of uh, various hues that lighten up the world. This is also from that Smithsonian MAG article uh, about the, the balloons and the aeronauts that transformed our view of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And this does help the human species advance understanding of various meteorological phenomena. Scientists get new insight into meteors. They understand more about the relationship between altitude and temperature, aka it gets really freaking cold if you go up too far. Uh, They understood how hail and snow and rain formed. They were able to get up into the clouds, literally, which people had wanted to do for millennia and uh totally and today you can ride a hot air balloon and you have to think of how transformative this would have been you know you always hear about astronauts reporting i mean maybe not uh well jeff bezos is officially not an astronaut but right. you know most of his commentary for his uh, brief space flight were about like how he wants to build factories on the moon or whatever but uh in general astronauts typically say things like when you see that view of the planet, you know, disconnected from, you know, being on the ground, uh, and you see this disembodied kind Mm -hmm. of floating orb, it really gives you this perspective on your place in the universe and all that. And that would have been true, too, of people viewing the Earth, uh, the surface of the Earth from the air. I know every time I take a flight, I still haven't gotten jaded to, like, looking out the window and seeing, like, you know, flying over, say, Utah, for example, seeing all the salt, you know, deposits, and just, it looks like you're literally seeing the surface of an alien planet. Uh, I still very much am taken by that. And so for this to be very, very new, it would have been really, really exciting. Yeah, that's a good point, Noel, because I see what you're saying. What what people must have been experiencing is a version of what's known as the overview effect. That's what astronauts mm-hmm. are experiencing. And I, I'm with you. I, I like a good window seat anytime I can get it. It's just amazing, especially you're flying over like the Grand Canyon or something. It never loses its luster. Today, if you are someone who wants to ride a hot air balloon, you might be surprised by how close some hot air balloon festivals are to a town near you. And Noel, Max, here in Georgia at Callaway Gardens, which isn't too far away, there's a hot air balloon festival this September if you guys want to go. Awesome. I think we can probably expense that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We'll tell, <laughs> we'll tell the suits it's, it's for research. Max, are you down? You want to go in a hot air balloon with us? Definitely not. Oh, I'm, I'm not going it. up in the balloon. I'll oh. watch them from the ground. Uh, <laughs> but y'all y'all go with God. I, I, I wish <laughs> oh, you the best. Bon voyage. Absolutely, absolutely not. I'm afraid of heights. I will not get in a hot air balloon. You guys are going to make me yeah. go solo? Okay, I'll wear like a yes. GoPro or something and and relay the footage down to you. Is that is that Will that work? I wish you the best, Ben. Uh, thanks, Ben. I wish I could do it with you, Ben, yeah. but it, you, you would not enjoy it if I went with you. I would be like a cat, like clawing, like, 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 you know, when you see a dog come in and the cat's just like back arched and like claws digging into the, I would be like that, but like on the basket, just like flattened, like a cartoon character, Mm -hmm. like Bugs Bunny in that one with the, the, the gremlin where he's on the the plane. Mm -hmm. And I think at one point he uh, gets pushed outside the plane and you see his like heart pumping in his chest and he's literally like clutching the side of the plane. That would be me. I'm fine with 
flights. I okay. have no problem with that. But but an open uh-huh. bucket in the sky, I, I barely like riding like ski lifts and things like that. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry. I hate no, to have to pass, but no worries at all. I got I got your back, guys. Here's what we'll do. We're still gonna tell the network that all three of us are going up. And then we're gonna we're gonna use that other two thirds as just you know walking around pocket money for our our adventure. Got a got a yes sir from Max on that one. Um, Maybe we could bring a chicken and a goat and a and a rooster or something like that. <laughs> just to, yes, just so. Can we expense that as well? Oh, you know we can. Yeah, yeah, we got we got a a, a rooster guy. Don't we know? Did we did we get a rooster guy? Hmm? Steve. Oh, Steve. That's right, Steve. Steve the rooster guy. Sheep guy's different guy, but uh. I would, I've always wanted to go in a hot air balloon and we'd be glad to relay footage of you. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I know we're, we're at the end of our show here, but where are we at as a group on blimps, dirigibles, airships? Does it matter? Is no, it I, 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 I'd, I'd be cool with that because it's enclosed. Okay. You know, right. uh, and there's probably like craft services and stuff, you know, like I'd be good with that. There's probably like a, you know, sleeper car type situation, but I think blimps have largely outlived their usefulness. I think we, we, we did a story about blimps, yeah. how they used to be used for low altitude uh, surveillance, but I think there are probably better ways of doing that, AKA drones. Um, obviously the Goodyear blimp will always be a thing, but that's really more just like, you know, a visual during sporting events. But I think that would be awesome to go up in the good Goodyear blimp. I would, I would love that. I love the vision of the future that you see sometimes in these stories mm-hmm. where it's like everything's, you know, everyone's going to be flying by blimp and they're all tethered to buildings and you have to shimmy down some sort of line to get to the, you know, landing pad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Interesting stuff. It's very sky captain in the world of tomorrow. Yeah. Or like in Fringe. Oh, wait, spoilers. Okay. Well, dirigibles are in that show. It's a good show. Check it out. Uh, so with this, we have to say uh, we can't wait to hear from anybody who is a balloonist or an aeronaut who has explored the friendly skies in this way. Uh, it sounds like sounds like my compatriots uh, Noel and Max are maybe not on board to fly with you, but would probably welcome hearing the story. I wish everyone could see just how Max. I am sorry. I didn't know that. Like I, I didn't know. I can see how hard you're noping going up there. This reminds me a little bit, Noel, uh, Max's reaction reminds me a little bit of um, when we've talked about you being in the open ocean, which is also not your vibe, I believe. Uh, I mean, I'm fine if I'm close to, you know, shore. I'll swim in the in the ocean if I'm close to the beach, but I do have some pretty big fears of deep, deep, deep water ocean because of the massive, you know, uh, leviathan-type beasts that dwell uh, just beneath the placid surface. Similar to the way people originally felt about the sky. What's down 100%. there? 100%. What's up there? We brought it back. We did it. We brought it back. <laughs> We did, we did. Uh, on a Friday, no less. Um, huge thanks to Max, you super producer, you, um, and uh, Casey Pegram, super producer as well. Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Yes, and big thanks, of course, uh, to the b- balloonist of, of our hearts. I, I don't know, we'll work on it, but we're talking about Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. Quister. Big thanks to that guy, Christopher Osiotis. Uh Big, big thanks to everyone, uh, honestly, everyone who braved those mysterious skies because uh, inspiration aside, they provided some priceless insights to our understanding of science. I can't believe no balloons, huh? Okay. Well, I'm going to cancel plans. I had this on the calendar. We'll see you next time, folks.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.